And reading for our text tonight from the book of Revelation, we'll look into the third chapter, Revelation chapter 3, beginning at the 20th verse, reading verses 20 through 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and he will sup with me, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We immediately learn in this last and final book of the Bible, that the primary focus, the focus of John's vision, and we know to be our focus, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to the consummation of all things, the finalization of all that is really important to us, it all relies on Jesus Christ. In fact, John opens the book calling what he is about to write the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he refers to this writing also as the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it's his revelation and it's his testimony. In verse 5, writing about Jesus, he says that he is the faithful witness. It's his revelation, it's his testimony, and the Lord is faithful because he is the witness. It goes on to say in verse 5, and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, putting Christ in his proper place, really in all of history. But in the middle of verse 3, John writes, for the time is at hand. And I believe what he's saying to those that would read his book, time is short. Or we might say today, we're running out of time. In fact, in the first verse, he puts it this way concerning these upcoming prophetic events that he's having a vision that would come in the future. He says, things which must shortly come to pass. So not only is time at at hand, or we could say time is running out, how we might put it, he's saying that these things must happen. They must come to pass Or we could say that everything must be fulfilled. That word for shortly means a brief space of time or with haste. So on God's uh, time clock, you really, as you read these words, you get this sense of urgency. You get this sense that the Lord is determined to finalize his plan on his time clock. And to be honest, ultimately things on earth get a lot worse before they get better. But we don't need to be afraid. In fact, the promise to you and me is that we are blessed. If if we look at, uh, again, chapter 1, verse 3, a promise that I believe is relevant to us tonight, he says, Blessed or blessed is he that readeth, 
But he goes on to say, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, it's one thing to read it, and then it's one thing to get it down in our hearts and truly hear it, and keep those things which are written therein. That's a a relevant promise to you and me tonight, and I believe that the Lord, when we come to his house, would have us to go away and blessed. And the promise is here, to go away encouraged and to go away strengthened in the Lord and to be partakers of this promise by John the Revelator. We immediately, in reading early in in these chapters, you read about seven distinct churches and we read about seven spirits that this Bible says are before the throne of God. And we learn about seven golden candlesticks that represent these seven specific churches that Jesus himself is writing to. And then seven stars, which are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now we know that John the Revelator, in the first chapter, he has this this really incredible, glorious vision of the glorified Christ. Looking at Revelation, again, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, that is Jesus, and every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. Think about that. How can that be? Only the Lord knows, but he will make it happen. And they also which pierced him... And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. And then these are the words of Jesus there in red. If you have a red letter Bible in verse 8, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And we know the original uh, Greek language, the first and last letters are the Alpha and Omega. Isaiah he wrote really a parallel passage, or we could say John wrote a parallel passage to the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 6. He says, The Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. So Isaiah calls him the King of Israel and the Redeemer. Our Redeemer, speaking of Jesus Christ, it sounds very New Testament because it is. And of course, the psalmist writes in Psalm 90, even from everlasting, speaking of the Lord, to everlasting, everlasting to everlasting. So he's not even talking in the context of time, but it's beyond that. The Lord is everlasting to everlasting. He says, thou art God. Speaking of Jesus. In verse 13, Uh, Back in chapter 1, we find the glorified Christ in the midst of the seven candlesticks. And we find that Jesus, he's wearing two garments, is what is referred to here. And it's thought that the two garments represent him as king, because he's our king, our coming king, and as priest. He's our prophet, our high priest, and our king. In verse 14, it says that his hair is white like wool, as white as snow. And we find, again, another parallel passage relevant here to what John is writing about in Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 9, where he is referred to as the Ancient of Days, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. And it's no doubt representing the complete purity and the entire 
pureness or perfection of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Moses, and many think that maybe the two witnesses in Revelation are also Elijah and Moses, but we know he was there with Peter, James, and John, and Mark says that, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. It's because this Mount of Transfiguration was looking forward to what Christ would be when he came back glorified here in Revelation. He goes on to say, and as no fuller on earth can white them. Again, back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, he says that his feet were like undefined brass. It denotes judgment deliverance and strength of Jesus Christ. And then his voice is as the sound of many waters. We might imagine a a mighty waterfall. And I don't think like Multnomah Falls, but like Niagara Falls. I mean, a roar of water or like a roaring ocean. He refers to in terms of the voice of Jesus. And again, another parallel passage Ezekiel wrote, Ezekiel 43, 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. And what's fascinating about the end of Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, you get this picture of a fourth temple that's yet to come. It's going to be more grand and glorious than all other previous three temples. We know of the first and the second, and we know of the third temple that they're they're jumping at the bit to build. But we won't be here. We don't want to see it. We want to reign with Jesus on the earth as Ezekiel is looking forward to in chapter 43, verse 2. The glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east and his voice was like the noise of many waters and the earth shined with his glory. Things that will happen in the future. The fourth and final temple, but then there's heaven where the Bible says there is no temple because God will be the temple in heaven one day. Back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And you see his countenance again, similar to Ezekiel, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. The sharpness refers to God's word, how precise it is, how perfect it is. And we know that ultimately the Lord uses this sword His sword, his mouth as a weapon, much different than he did when he came at his first coming here at his second coming. But as you read through Revelation and you get into the second and the third chapter, we find seven letters and they've been studied much through history. They're written to seven specific churches. And we do know that these seven churches were in what today would be modern day Turkey a cluster of churches, different than Paul's letters. Paul's letters to churches, they were more scattered abroad, but it was sort of a specific area. And the Lord uses these churches and the names for these churches. These are the letters of Jesus to these churches. He uses the names of them to represent what they were going through or or how we could learn from them. Ephesus is known as the church that lost its first love. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Different commentators have given them different titles, but 
These seem to render it pretty well. Smyrna was the persecuted church. Pergamos, the church that lived with the devil. Thyatira, the church that tolerated sin. And Sardis was the dead church. And then Philadelphia, the church with just a little faith, the Bible says. And I think it's important to point out a promise to that particular church if we look at Revelation 3. You see, to have a little faith means to keep God's word. In Revelation 3, verse 10, he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And then he gives a warning in verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. What he can say to them is, you've kept my word. You've held on. You have a little faith. You've kept my word. And what he seems to be alluding to is, because you have kept my word, I'm coming back soon. I will keep you or take you from the hour of temptation, or we could say the tribulation that's about to come onto the earth. And finally, there's Laodicea, which can be referred to as the lukewarm church, or some would call it the apostate church. And, you know, some commentators or scholars, they believe that maybe these churches can represent periods of time throughout history. And and it's possible as you read through it, that that's a possibility. Examples such as Ephesus was the early church or the church right when after the Lord left. And it's known as the church that had left its first love. Maybe Thyatira represents the medieval church and possibly Philadelphia could represent the missionary church that really spread the gospel throughout the world more recently. And it could be that Laodicea represents the church that how it will look at the time of the Lord's return, the apostate church. But really more important than all of that, whether or not these do represent specific time periods, There's a promise that's relevant to every generation throughout all of these letters. And that's why we're here tonight. And that promise to every generation is he that endureth to the end. We came to church tonight because we want to endure to the end. We want to make it. That's what drives us to come out. Uh, to church on on a Tuesday night or Friday night or whenever we have the opportunity to come to God's houses, we want to endure unto the end. We want to be accounted amongst that group, however large or however small, where Jesus calls you and me individually an overcomer. We want to be overcomers, I believe. And as you read through these churches that were, in many cases, condemned by the Lord or told uh, by the Lord to repent, there's this promise to the overcomer scattered throughout each church or each letter, we might say. In verse 7 of chapter 2, he says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. Yes, you need to repent, but amongst those churches that maybe you could say in a sense had had turned their back on the Lord, there were individuals in there that were going to be overcomers. And we want to be overcomers. We want to make it. We want to endure unto the end. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. That's a promise for you and me. In verse 17 of chapter 2, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Imagine what that will taste like. 
But he goes on in verse 17 and will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. A promise, a personal promise to the overcomer, overcomer to you and me. Revelation 2 verse 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Jesus will come back. The glorified Christ will come back with his saints that have made the rapture of the church. And we will be overcomers with him, giving power unto the nations, he says in chapter 2, verse 26, Revelation 3, 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Interesting. It's possible for our names to be blotted out. But it need not be. Because that's a promise to the overcomer. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's a promise to the overcomer. Revelation 3, 12. He that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God? Fascinating. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God. It's very personal. These are the words of Jesus. They're in red. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And finally, from our text tonight, as I read in Revelation verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. We can't comprehend that. But that's the promise to all of humanity who would choose to be an overcomer. And I can't help but read from Revelation 21, 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You want to talk about a blessing? We are blessed to read from the book of Revelation and that the promise is to you and me that we would be blessed. But think of the blessing to the overcomer over and over and over in the book here of Revelation. We have to understand what overcometh mean in the original. It means to conquer, prevail, or to get victory. And that's victory through the blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrated and, and we looked back on what Christ did on Calvary in which he has victory over death, hell, and the grave. And therefore we can as well and have access to all of these promises. What a hope we have to be overcomers. You know, many believe that Revelation chapter 4 Verse 1, after these letters to the churches, all seven of them having been given by Jesus, that it could be that Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 is a, a prophetic view of the rapture of the church. You find where he says that, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet. So he hears a voice, he hears a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. And we know, as you read through Revelation, we no longer find they church, the church or a church mentioned. And as I thought about that, I thought, if that is the case, only the Lord truly knows. But if that is the case, we're living 
at the end of chapter 3. All seven of the churches have been written about, and we know that time is short. And how does Jesus respond at the end of chapter 3? In verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He's saying there are some that do need to repent. Maybe there are some that have left their first love. Maybe there are some that have married to the world, as some of these churches did. So he gets very specific there. But as I read in verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And so we know that the day of salvation is still open. The day of grace is available here tonight. The way of salvation is near. We can say that the end is near. We know that to be true. We look through the scripture. We look through God's word. We know that the end is near. And if you think about all of these churches, all of these churches had church-going people at them. But that didn't save them. All of these churches had people probably that came faithfully to church, but Jesus gets very personal. And I believe when we picture, and I know a lot of us may picture maybe the painting of of the Lord knocking on the heart, knocking on the door, asking to come in. And usually we liken that to uh, when we are saved. We ask the Lord, Lord, come into my heart. I believe sometimes, even as Christians, the Lord knocks on our heart. And he wants to make sure that he has access to all aspects, all parts of our hearts. And I believe that's a challenge for all of us. We know if you're not saved that Jesus is knocking on your heart. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And then... The gospel is for whosoever will. He says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, anybody. And sometimes I think when we're in a a state of not being saved, it's so hard to open that door and and, and I can't do it. and, And we don't know how we can do it. And Jesus says, just open the door. I will come into him. Jesus will. And we'll sup with him. He'll spend time with you and me. And he with me. It's very personal. I believe Jesus is knocking on the hearts, the doors of hearts here tonight. If you need to be saved, and and maybe you're listening in or you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord. Even if you come to church faithfully, you don't know the Lord. All that matters is that Jesus is living in your heart. And if the Lord lives in your heart, you have access to the overcomer's blessing. He that overcometh will inherit all of these things. I hope that we cannot even imagine. We thank the Lord for it. We want to ask you to come and pray tonight. If you need to be sanctified, we believe the Lord will sanctify you. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord will fill you. And if you need to be healed on the authority of God's word, we believe the Lord can and will heal you tonight if it's his will. In Jesus' name, we do ask all of these things. The song is 347. Let's come forward and pray.